0: All right. You may be seated, everyone. Uh, Again, my name is Drew. Welcome and happy Easter. Um, I actually thought we would start the sermon by, uh, I wanted to show you this picture. Uh, It's actually a picture of uh, March 2020. And uh, it's a picture there. Um, That's my son, David, on the left, and that's my daughter, Avery, on the right. And... um, Remember at the height of the pandemic, and if you were here in New York City at the time, you knew that it was just such an awful time you know, and it, it kind of dawned on me as I was preparing for this sermon that today 's actually the first in person Easter Sunday service that we're having together since two thousand and nineteen which is quite a while and uh, you know the image that came to mind about what we 've been through as a city as well as the world around us um, this image comes to mind, and my wife and I and our family, we lived on Roosevelt island, and um, during the height of the pandemic, if you were here, you know that like like non stop, there were sirens that were going time and time again. And in this photo, it kind of it's a reminder of the picture of what that time was like because David, Avery, and myself we would go and we would ride around the island, and there's a hospital on the island where COVID patients were being sent. Um, and in addition to that, we would look across the river when we were on Rose Island, we'd look across the river, and on the FDR, you know, there would be sirens constantly, um, day and night. And um, we would just be walking around uh, the island and we would stop, and uh, the building there is New York Presbyterian, and we would just begin to pray. And the reason why we prayed for that hospital also in particular is because um, some a dear friend of ours, his father, was um, intubated there at the hospital for three months. And so part of our daily ritual is that we would go and we would just pray there. Uh, and then we also found out that there was a friend of ours on the island who had gone through, um, who had been diagnosed with cancer at the time, and so we'd go and walk by, and we'd stand by his balcony, and we'd begin to pray together. And so, you know, just these memories of kind of what this past season was like over the past few years, uh, this feeling of absolute dread and the feeling of, gosh, will we ever see a new day in New York? And it's a little surreal to be here today and talking about resurrection and us having Mr. Softy here. Um, Like, that's the epitome of how surprised and how wonderful at the same time this whole experience is. But it's just kind of a little surreal because there are these moments that felt like absolute darkness. And I don't know if you've ever been through those moments. I think by being a human being, you probably have been through those moments. You know, and, and throughout the past few weeks, we've been actually investigating who is this Jesus person, right? If we could cut through the dross of like what Christians say about him or what the Christian institution or the church of the, the institution of the church says about who this Jesus person is, but what does Jesus have to say about himself? And of course, we've been examining week after week where Jesus himself, this is what he would say about himself. He would say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the sustenance that you need. I'm the light of the world. He'd say, I'm the shepherd and the gate. He would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And last week we talked about how he says, I am the vine. And throughout, whenever he makes these statements, he uses the words ego a me. Can I hear you say ego a me? Yeah, it comes from the Greek verb to be. To exist, to be. And so, of course, when he says I am, he would use these I am statements. But you know what's so startling about the Gospel of John? There's other moments where, you know, uh, we just went through a list of where Jesus would say, I am something, right? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. There's actually this moment in John chapter eight where Jesus, he's talking and he's teaching. And people are really perplexed by what he's saying about himself. And then he drops this statement that too, you gotta imagine, as a Jewish audience, people are completely stunned by what he says. He basically says, before Abraham was, now Abraham is a patriarch of the Jewish faith. And so here he is and he says, before Abraham was or existed, before Abraham was, he says, ego eimi, I am. And he doesn't use like a predicate after that. He basically just says, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And it elicits such a response from the hearers. When, when Jesus says that, he makes that statement, it elicits such a response that people, it says they want to kill him after that. They wanna stone him. Now, why would they do that? It's because throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is making these statements, the I am statements about himself claiming to be God. And he makes these statements that are just so audacious and uh, about, again, equating himself when he uses the verb to be, that actually harkens back to the ways that God designated his own title and his own name all the way back in the Old Testament, which we're gonna look at. So when Jesus makes these statements, he's making this audacious claim about who he is. Now, here's the thing. You might be someone who's, you know, you got dragged here by a friend or whatever, or you heard that there's a Mr. Softy truck coming and you're like, that's why I gotta be at church today. Uh, If that's you, that's amazing. Uh, (laughs) But um, here's the thing, right, like, Jesus was, this is what Christians believe. We believe that he was an actual person who actually lived, who actually died, who actually rose again from the dead. In fact, there's non-Christian historians like Josephus who would write about Jesus who was known as this miracle worker and that had started this uprising. Now, isn't that startling? Jesus, who's this carpenter who actually existed, and here he is making these audacious claims. And what we're gonna see today is he makes another audacious claim, and he makes it in the context of a story, uh, now, check out this story. Look at what happens. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus, who's a family friend of his. Now, if you were uh, paying attention during the reading that Tomi Lio was doing, Jesus already knows he's gonna do something extraordinary. He's already hinted that the glory of God is about to be revealed. So he already knows this, and look at what happens. Lazarus, who has died, had already been in the tomb for four days. So in other words, like there's a finality to this. He died four days ago. He's been in the tomb in his grave clothes. Now, there's something about death, right, where, like, the finality of it, it just feels so overwhelming because it's completely final. There's no, like, oh, you know what, like, right now, um, you know, uh, my mom, she recently just had a surgery, and she's getting older in age, and I'm just like, oh, but I'll I'll be able to still talk to her, right? Like, that's my mindset at some (laughs) moments. but there's something about death where there's, there's no more, oh, we have tomorrow, we have tomorrow morning. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know that sensation. So if you can imagine the finality of what Lazarus and his family is feeling, because he's dead and he's been buried for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, look at what, what Martha says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, why does she make that statement? She makes that statement because Jesus has already shown himself to be a miracle worker. He's already done extraordinary healings, opened the eyes of the blind, taught with great authority. And so Martha is just kind of thinking, ah, oh, Jesus, like if you had only been here. Now, she has no idea about what's about to come next, right? Because <laughs> Jesus is basically going to reveal himself in this extraordinary way. But check out what happens. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask there's still this hopefulness in her tone. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And look what she says. She says, yeah, 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 I know he will rise, that was my translation, yeah, 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 I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Because this was part of the belief system, was yeah, yeah, we believe in this kind of metaphysical, physical resurrection, but that's gonna happen way later. And Jesus, then look at, he makes this extraordinary, audacious claim. Again, we've talked about all these audacious claims Jesus has already made about himself, but here comes another one. He's about to drop this. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Ego eimi. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. But even then she doesn't know what's coming. But Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus has just dropped this statement, basically saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, in some ways, like he, may, he has already made this claim, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's already designated himself to be equal to the divine as a divine being, also fully human, which already in itself is audacious. But he now drops this hammer of a more, of, of, I, I don't know if it's more audacious, but he's basically saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is why this is so audacious, because I remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about when Jesus makes a claim, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, we talked about who are some people in our world and in our nation that has, have outsized influence in the world, right? Um, whether through fame, influence, or money and power, who are those people? And can we ever imagine some of these people making such an audacious claim, right? And so there was a list of people that I put, like Donald Trump, could he ever make a claim that he himself is divine? Some of you are like, yeah, he could. Well, um, right, but even then, most of us would be like, well, come on, Donald Trump, right? Elon Musk, right, one of the most extraordinary entrepreneurs, worth 300 billion, whatever it might be, right? Elon Musk, who, you know, whose vision is to take us to Mars or whatever it might be to let, you know, uh, like Kylie Jenner, LeBron James, Google, Barnaby Lowe, who's one of our own. Now, you know, there's a list of people, right? Like, can you imagine they ever made a claim that they were equal to God? And, and you know, of course, it was a rhetorical question. Like, no, they would never do that unless people responded by saying that person's crazy. There's no way they would say something like that. Well, here's, here's what's so crazy. When Jesus basically says, I am the resurrection and the life, you've got to understand, he's making this claim against the one thing that human beings have never been able to figure out, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, just think about this. Like, so like Elon Musk, with all the technological advancement, with all the billions of dollars he has, like, just think about this. There is nothing that will save him from dying one day. Nothing. He, he can create all sorts of companies. He can raise enormous amounts of capital towards research, Toward some of the deadliest illnesses of the world. And isn't it true? Isn't that what happens, right? Like today, there's been so many millions and billions of dollars into research in how to prolong life to get past certain illnesses like cancer or other things. But no one has ever even dared to imagine that death itself would be conquered. Why is that? Is because death is inevitable. There's a theologian named Charles Barkley, um, who also is a TNT announcer. And one of the things he says is, Father Time is undefeated. Now, what's he saying there? He says, Father Time is undefeated. What he's basically saying is, like, there's an inevitability to every single one of us, the mortality that each of us face. Each of us will face death one day and kind of the deterioration of our bodies. Now, some of you are like, wow, I wish I didn't come to this sermon today. This is awful. I mean, isn't that interesting, though, that death is the inevitability for every single one of us as human beings? That's what makes this statement by Jesus so compelling and so audacious. He basically says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one thing that you as human beings that we all experience one day, whether it happens to people around us or whether it happens to us or whether it happens to someone that we love, that every single one of us experiences that somehow add to the mystery and the pain of this world. That one thing is death. And death itself, now Jesus is basically saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, even Martha, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know this will happen on the last day. She doesn't know what's about to go down. And yet Jesus is about to call forth Lazarus from the grave, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In the moment of deepest despair for all the people that are around, right, because it's been four days he's been in the tomb, that Lazarus has been in the tomb. These four days, can you imagine just a feeling of finality and loss and darkness, And the reality is every single one of us have been in moments like that before where we feel that the weight and the pressure of loss and darkness. Have you ever been there before? You know, maybe it's been over the past couple of years. Uh, Maybe you did lose someone that you love to COVID. Or maybe there was that diagnosis of someone that you love or even to yourself that just kind of completely rocked your world. Maybe you went through a breakup. You went through a breakup and you, you knew the experience of, of like just pain and a relationship that didn't work out. Maybe you're a couple who's been trying to get pregnant and you've been through infertility and it's just such a painful moment. Have you ever been there before? Complete darkness, feel like you don't know what's next. For some of us, maybe it was your career over the past couple of years, your career or the loss of job or income and not knowing what was going to pay the bills. Or maybe you're a Knicks fan and you're just just wondering, we made the playoffs last year and then this year, it was just, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those moments of just darkness, those moments where you feel like, not sure if I can get up in the morning, I'm not sure if I can make it another day. You know, I talked about how Jesus makes these I am statements, right? And he, he makes these I am statements, and he's, he's, he's evoking a kind of image to the people who are going through moments of utter darkness. He's, he's hearkening people to an image, right? And so there's actually another setting that I wanted to transport you to, because there's another book in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there's this passage where John, who's a different John, is actually on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is this island where John was exiled to. So this John is exiled to Patmos. And John is a figure from the early church. And here's what happens, right? Because the Christian movement, Jesus dies, he resurrects from the grave, and it begins to spread all over the Roman Empire. But Rome is this massive, empire that has all the military strength. And so when they hear about this movement of this Jewish carpenter who was resurrected from the grave, they just think, you know what, we'll just point all of our weapons towards this and snuff it out. And so they begin to persecute Christians. So Christians are persecuted. They begin to die. And of course, this small minority movement, there's no way this thing can ever take on the Roman empire. And so what ends up happening, Christianity begins to spread. John, he's exiled to Patmos. So can you imagine how helpless he must feel? I talked about moments of utter darkness where you feel like you're not sure whether um, you're gonna make it to the next day. Can you imagine for John? He's exiled to a place. He's utterly alone. There's nothing he can do. He feels so helpless. And it's in this context that the book of Revelation, this vision or this revelation comes to John. And John, he gets this revelation on the island of Patmos. And Jesus identifies himself to John, and look at what Jesus says about himself in this vision. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, some of you are like, wow, that, the cadence of that sounds so cool. Well, here, I mean, here's the reality, right? Remember how I talked about how ego eimi is the verb to be, and it's the, it's the word that Jesus would use about himself time and time again throughout the Gospel of John? When Jesus says, I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come, he's using that same verb to be. And see, here's what Jesus is basically doing in this revelation, in this dream to John, who's exiled in Patmos, who feels absolutely helpless. What he's saying? Hey, 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 you know that, um, that same way in which I told you I am the vine, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world before Abraham was, I am. I want you to know I'm still here. Hey, hey, I want you to know. You remember in the book of Exodus where Moses was so afraid and Moses was wondering what was gonna happen next. And Moses was, did not want to free the people from slavery. Do you remember that time? And Moses was like, well, who, who should I say you are? And, and do you remember that time in Exodus chapter three where God said to Moses, I am who I am? Do you remember that? Do you remember this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am, or the verb to be has sent you? See, when Jesus, when he reveals himself to John on the island of Patmos, what he's basically saying is, He's saying the same God who existed before the creation of the world, same God who split the Red Sea and led his people out of captivity, the same God who resurrects Jesus, the same God who when he would say before Abraham was, I am this same Jesus is right now here With you and for you and with you. In the moment when you feel most alone, I'm with you. I'm for you. Let's do this. The great I am, this Jesus. It's in those moments of utter darkness that Jesus appears and he continues to tell his people, I am. I'm the one. I'm the one who's the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who in the moments of your deepest darkness can bring light into the world. I am the one. Frederick Buchner, who's a theologian and a poet and a writer, this is what he says about resurrection. He says, resurrection means this, that the worst thing is never the last thing. That those moments when we feel like our backs are against the wall, those moments when we feel absolutely overwhelmed by life, those moments when we feel like we're in exile and absolutely helpless, those moments when we feel like there's these prognoses from the doctors and it feels absolutely hopeless, Here's what resurrection means. When Jesus says, I am, and when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he, what he means to say is the worst thing is never the last thing. And because of that, we can cling to the hope that's found in him. And this is what resurrection means. You see, not only would Jesus actually call forth Lazarus from the grave, but when he resurrects from the grave, what he does is he brings the evidence of how the great I am, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, he's still here. He's still there, and he will always be here into the future, and he will always be the one who in the moments of our darkest hours can bring about resurrection. And the question is, will you and will I, will we together believe and trust in this Jesus? The one who says, I am he, the one who would resurrect from the grave to show us that the worst thing is never the last thing. Maybe some of you have come in today and you've been feeling this kind of worst thing kind of scenario. Maybe it's just been this excruciating loneliness. Maybe you just moved to the city and it's been hard to find a community or friends. Maybe you're someone who, you know, you've just been in a season of like a lot of fracturing in your family in the midst of what's happening. Maybe you're someone who, again, you just feel utterly alone and in exile, and I want you to know this, resurrection today, what it means when Jesus says, I'm the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, what he's saying is the resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. And as a result, we can lift our eyes and have a hope that is out of this world. Now, here's the reality though, right? I can talk a good game about this and some of you might even be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds all good in theory. But the reality is the past three years we've been in this COVID crisis and I lost someone that I loved. Or maybe you're someone where you're like, and I've been steeped in the season of depression that started even before COVID and it's simply kind of endured on in the midst of some of these painful times over the past few months, and you're talking this good game about resurrection and Mr. Softy and donuts and all this good stuff, but like what? You say that God is powerful, but I've never experienced him. Well, here's the beauty of the story of Jesus. See, Jesus is not only the one who has the power to call forth the dead, which no outsized influence or money could ever do. Jesus is not only that kind of God. He's not only the kind of God who can call forth Lazarus from the grave, but check out how the story continues as it relates to Lazarus. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So now here Jesus is, and it's about to go down. He's about to call forth Lazarus from the grave to show that he truly is the resurrection and the life. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mean, isn't this an extraordinary scene? Jesus has made this audacious claim about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He calls forth Lazarus so that in the moment of deepest darkness for the people that were around there, The moment where it's been four days, no one in their right mind would ever dare imagine that Jesus was gonna call forth a dead man from the grave. And here Jesus is, and he does that. Can you imagine the utter stunned shock and horror of what happened? Oh my goodness, he comes out in his grave clothes. You know what's so extraordinary about this story though? Is that Jesus actually calls forth Lazarus from the grave. And it actually begins this whole commotion about who is this Jesus? And the text tells us that some people follow him and some people do not. And look, if we go to the last slide here, look at what it says at the end of, uh, some people are starting to doubt him and they're like, people are gonna start following this guy. This Jesus guy, like he does all these miracles, people are gonna start following him. We need to kind of do something to mitigate against that. And look at what happens. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. They plotted to take his life. What in the world is going on here? You see, Jesus knew that when he demonstrates himself as the one who would raise life and raise Lazarus from the grave, he knew that that was actually one stepping stone towards what? Towards his own death. And the question is, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus raise life so that he could lay down his own life? See, the beauty of the Christian message about who God is, it's not just that God is powerful and can raise the dead. And it's not just that God is someone who can, in our darkest moments, bring a glimmer of light into our lives. See, what Jesus reveals to us about who he is is that not only is God powerful, but God is loving. Loving enough that he would lay down his life so that you might experience the fullness of life. Loving enough so that even in the moments when you might doubt his goodness for you, when you might wonder, yeah, God, okay, you've, there are rumors of your goodness and your greatness that he might demonstrate to you. See, my greatness is not just in my power. My greatness is in my love for you. And the fact that I would lay down my life so that you can experience the fullness of life, so that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that in the moment of your deepest, darkest struggle, in the moment of your loneliness and pain, in the moment what feels like the worst thing in your life, you might know a God who is so committed to you and so committed to resurrection power that he would give his very life so that you might know him, so that you might know a God of love, a God of kindness, a God who would give his life away so that you might receive it. I invite you to stand with me And I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. To the one who is and to the one who was and to the one who is to come, the great I am, the same God who created the universe, who existed before the foundations of the world, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who resurrects Jesus from the grave. Like, what if that God was here right now, available to me, to you, to all of us? How would that change my life? How would that change your life? How would that change our lives? Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. It means that whatever darkness, whatever valley you might be going through, when we can lean into this God, when we can entrust ourselves into his kindness, his love. Resurrection is on the other side. If you would join me, could you just open up your hands in a sign of surrender? Father in heaven, all the ways in which we make life about us and all the anxieties and fears and pains and wounds we carry today, all the things that perhaps we've been through over the last couple of years, all the heartache, all the wondering, all the moments of darkness. We thank you that Easter is coming. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you that you are the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And that whatever situation we might find ourselves in, we can entrust to you. So God, we release to you the worries, the anguish, the fears, the sins, and today we receive your love, your kindness, your power, your resurrection. Father, I pray for resurrection power to be released in this room, that whatever woundedness or anguish or sorrow that we're carrying here, that together we might lay it at your feet and that we might receive the hope that is found in you. And whenever we doubt that, God, I pray that we might know that you're the God who would not spare his own son, that we might know you, the God of love, the God of amazing grace, the one who continues to move toward us, to love us, to save us, to redeem us, to tell us that we're not alone. So God, I pray that as we sing of your amazing grace that today we might experience it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. now let's sing together.